Amen. Grab a seat. And howdy. Well, yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin Bear. I'm the college pastor here at Grace Southwood, and it is an honor to be with you guys here on this amazing weekend, amazing Sunday morning, where we get to open and study the Word of God together. You ready? All right, all right, all right. We'll get there, we'll get there. Psalm 139 is where we're going to be, and uh, as you're flipping there, let me give you a couple details about what we do here, especially if it's your first time. We want you to feel welcome. So what do we do? The first thing we do is we worship God together. We are going to sing songs like our amazing band led us into to, to really connect with Jesus, sing songs to God because he is worthy of our worship. And then we're going to open up the word of God. We're going to study the word of God together. And we are in a series called God of Creation uh, where you can follow along with us. Actually, uh, as part of a devotional, we, you can go to our version app and actually follow along a, a devotional alongside of it. It's called God of Creation. You type in God of Creation, you can follow along with the devotional with this series, which will be really helpful. And uh, then after that, we break into table discussion groups. We have amazing table hosts here. So table hosts, could you do me a favor? Go ahead and stand up for a quick moment so you can be recognized. Woo! Awesome, awesome. These are adults that have made it through college and into life. Like there is a place past college and they know what to do there. And uh, the reason they are here is because they want to connect with you. They want to help you walk with Jesus, but also navigate life situations. So after this time of worship and message, there are going to be a table discussion in the cafeteria after this. And, uh, and if you don't know where to go, just look for one of those amazing smiling faces and walk to them and they will welcome you and make you feel loved and all sorts of uh, those things. Okay. Uh, there's that. Then I give you one other piece of information. This is just kind of a housekeeping item. So we want you to be here and we want you you to make it easier for you to get here. So what will make that easier for you is if you know where to park. That could be helpful. Uh, right across, if, if you are in, parked in between uh, this, uh, this building and the Southwood main building, what you've probably discovered is that navigating that environment is really, really challenging. There's another street on the other side called Welsh. Welsh is your friend. Okay, off of 2018. Um, and so if you can see the blue, the blue area is actually a Consolidated High School, where we currently are. Welsh Avenue is there to the left. If you go over to Welsh Avenue, there are tennis courts as well as tons of parking on this side. You will miss all of the traffic going to Southwood, Maine, and you will find an easy, easy parking spot. If you park over there um, off of Welsh, it will make your life so much better. It will make all the traffic that much easier as well. All right? Last housekeeping item. All right, y'all ready to study the Word of God? Yes. All right, Psalm chapter uh, one, Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read for us, pray, and then we'll jump in. Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. It says this. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You searched out my path, my lying down, and you are acquainted with my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot, um, it's too high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. 
and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light to you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Jump down to verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I thank you that you know us. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know when we get up, when we lay down. You know our insides and outsides because you've made us and you care for us. And Lord, I know that there's many folks here that um, honestly just wonder, God, do you really know? Do you really care? So Lord, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, and as we dig deep into your word, that you would open up our hearts and minds to know the love of the Father who has come to us, who has made us who we are, who is watching over us and is inviting us to be in relationship with him. So Lord, I lift up this morning, I lift up these words that we speak, I lift up your word, that we could um, be changed by it. It's in your holy name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, I will tell you one simple principle that I want to drive home this morning, and it's this. You see devotion when you see the details. You see devotion when you see the details. So for example... If I was to have you over at my house for a meal, and I was to throw a frozen pizza in the oven and bring out that frozen pizza, you would say to me, thanks for thinking of me. That's great. Um, I'm good with a frozen pizza. That's fine. But it doesn't communicate the level of love of other details. For example, I have amazing parents. And my parents communicate love through details, largely through cooking. You have, anyone else have parents like that? Love through cooking. Ah, I love your parents. Okay, so, so they communicate love through details. And, and so, for example, I will, I will go home, you know, and, and I'll go visit my parents. And, and my dad inevitably will I'll be like, Dad, what are you making for dinner? And uh, he's like, well, I've been marinating this brisket for, I don't know, like, a, like three months. And, um, and, uh, and I've been buying this new wood uh, that will roast the brisket or whatever you briskets do uh, to just the right temperature and will get just the right flavors into it and so that you will love life and all things good and uh and and we and he brings the brisket out uh, it takes like i don't know eight years to like properly cook the brisket and he gets up at like four in the morning and just bastes it you know just forever and then we get it that night and it is absolutely incredible and i'm like you're amazing my father and you see the devotion when you see the details. My mom is the same way. I mean, she'll make the most amazing food. She'll, every, whenever she comes and visits me at my house or we go there, she'll have cookies and this, the most amazing pumpkin bread you've ever had in your life. It is absolutely incredible. And you, it's always moist and always somewhat warm and perfect because it's warmed by her love, right? And, and you just cut a little piece of that That amazing pumpkin bread and the spices and everything just come alive. And you're just like, Mom, um, God himself 
would cry after eating this pumpkin bread. Like, this is absolutely incredible. And, and, and you see this, and, and my parents legitimately show their devotion to us. They show their love because you see it in the details. And that communicates love. On a simpler way, you've probably got this friend or roommate who shows his love for his car in his knowledge of the details. You're like, like what kind of car you drive? I, I have no idea. It's blue and it's over there, right? And, and, but you'll be like, what kind of car you drive? And you're like, oh, well, it's a it's Ford F-150. It's, it's got a double left kit. And it just like kind of launches into this thing. And you're like, have you, you ever you know what's going on with it? He's like, yeah, I took it in, had a couple things like mixed, and obviously I know nothing of cars, but, but they'll like give you the details. You're like, I see your devotion. I see your love because you can communicate those details about the thing that you love. And the reason I start there is because of this. God loves you. And the reason you can know that is because he knows the details of your life and he was intentional in the details of your life to make you who you are. Complexity communicates commitment. Complexity communicates commitment. And the intricacy of creation communicates God's intentionality. The intricacy of creation communicates God's intentionality. And David in this psalm, as he's pinning this psalm, he starts thinking about the God of the universe. And he starts thinking about God in the creation of, of, the, of himself in particular. He starts thinking about God and how he created life. And he says, as I look at God the Father, there are some things that, that bubble to the surface. There are some amazing qualities about what God knows and what God does that he needed to communicate. And so he wrote a song called the Psalm 139. And the first part of that psalm that he says is this, that you, I, we are intricately known by God. God knows you. He knows you intentionally. He knows you purposefully. He knows you because he searched out for you. He says this in Psalm 139. It says, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You have searched me out. Like, I've looked for you. To search basically means this, to examine, to investigate, to make a search, or to ponder. It means he's looked out for you, and he has watched you. Not in a creepy, face-stalking, insta-stalking way, but in an intentional way, because he wants to know you, because he cares for you. Every now and then I play hide and seek with my kids. And I have a daughter who's nine, uh, and then a daughter on the tail end who's uh, four. Now, gosh, she's, oh my gosh, she's turning four in November. Okay, she's almost four. Not quite, she's still three. Um, and then I have a uh, seven year old son, Micah, and a six year old son, Jesse. And, and, and every now and then we'll play hide and seek. And, and hide and seek with, ki- with younger kids isn't about hiding, it's about being sought out and found. So every now and then, I'll just try to play hide-and-seek and then let them hide and let Daddy take a nap, right? Like, I, that's what I'm trying to do. And so I say, y'all go hide. I'll count to a million, and when I get there, I'll come search for you. And they go hide in their spots, and, and Juliet, the three-year-old, she'll hide, like, here. Just, you know, just, like, I can still see you over the couch because the game isn't really hide-and-seek. It's find. It's find me. And David says, look, God has searched me out. He has looked for me. He has searched for me. And he says, you hem me in from both sides. 
He's like, he's like it's, it's almost like you're, you're holding me and, and I can't get away from you. That, that idea of him is like either the hem of a garment or, or like a hug, like he's holding you, which can be somewhat terrifying or comforting. So every now and then with my kids, we play a game that my youngest two like, and it's called Monster. And Monster is I grab them and I tickle them until they can't take it anymore. And it is a game that's both enjoyable and terrifying. <laughs> because they love it, they love it. And they're just like, okay, enough, 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 let me go. And, and, and David says, I think about how much you know me, God. It's like, it's like you've hemmed me and you've held me close. You've searched me out. You've surrounded me. And that's the second piece he says. You've searched me, but you've also surrounded me. He says, you hem me in from behind and before I'm really trying hard on this, gentlemen. I'm really trying hard to move it forward, and it doesn't like me. There it is. You've surrounded me. In Psalm 139, verse 7, it says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, he says, if I try to run from you, God, I can't because you are, and here's your theological word, omnipresent. You are everywhere and there is nowhere I can go from you. So God isn't just watching you. He's, he's studying you. He knows you. And you can't run from him. You can't hide from God. He knows you and he wants to know you. He wants to care for you. He's not just watching, he's invested in your life and details of your life. He cares for you deeply. And this is crucial. God knows you, God cares for you, he sought you. You are intricately known by the Father. Your hopes, your dreams, your fears, God knows every single one of them. But David even goes further. He says, not only am I known... There's a second piece that we got to get, that God was intricately forming me in the womb. There's a quote that I want to give you from one scientist that really kind of punctuates what David is trying to communicate in this section. The the scientist is a scientist named, uh, he's a physicist named Ernest Walton. And he won the 1951 Nobel Prize for physics in his atom smashing like, so his job was to smash atoms. He was one of the first to do that. And the early experiences at Cambridge University. And he writes this of God the creator. He says, one way to learn the mind of the creator is to study his creation. We must pay God the compliment of studying his work, work of art. And this should apply to all realms of human thought. A refusal to use our intelligence honestly is an act of contempt for him who gave us that intelligence. I love this. This scientist says, the reason I study physics, the reason I study the universe is because then I can know the mind of my creator. The reason I study in college, hopefully, is that you can more know who God is in the world. We don't have to separate them. And so David goes on to say, not only have you known me, secondly, you have formed me. You are intricately involved in the creation of me. He says, you form my inward parts, verse 13. He says, you form, you've knitted me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, you've intricately formed me in the womb. You have taken the time to make me exactly who I am. 
And do you know how complicated you are? Some of you are in anatomy classes and you're getting a kind of a, a start at that. But, but I just want to take a moment. David says, God formed me in my womb. And I want to take some time here to walk you through how complicated you actually are. And so you're going to have to move all the way forward to the pictures of the human body. Because this is who you are. You are complicated. And this is a cool version of you. Don't you look great? This is a cool version of you. And, and you, you are... in infinitely complicated. You have and, uh, roughly 206 bones, you have 600 muscles, cells in your body that are constantly replicating the, um, each other. Uh, every ten, 7 to 10 years, you actually replace your entire body. Uh, you have over 10 trillion cells. And in each one of those cells, there's something called the, a DNA structure that makes you, you. And that DNA structure is immensely complicated. A man named Francis Collins, one of the the leaders of the Human Genome Project, has mapped the entire DNA structure. In the DNA, there are 3.1 billion base pairs. That's A-T-C. The way they look chemically is like this. It's it's adenine, thymine, cytosine, and guadamine, in case you were wondering, or in case you needed to study for a test later on. Uh, Those base pairs are made up of molecules that make you. And there are over 3.1 billion of those. Well, I don't know what a billion is, other than if that was money, that would be cool, but it's not. Uh, So what does that mean? Well, one person studying it from PBS says it this way. It would take a person typing 60 words per minute, eight hours a day, around 50 years to type the human genome. In fact, from the discovery of DNA... Until the moment that it took to map the entire DNA structure was about 50 years that it took to to navigate the complexity that is inside each one of your 10 trillion plus cells in your body. You are complicated. In fact, DNA is so unique. um, If you were to stretch it out, uh, a, a DNA molecule is actually coiled up very, very small inside each one of the nucleuses of your cells, and it's coiled up extremely, extremely small. One description was uh, like this. If you took a piece of string and kind of twisted it together and it kind of mapped all up that would, and made it really, really fine, that's kind of what DNA does inside your cell. That's a layman's version of it. But if you were to take that DNA strand out and, and to stretch it out, if you could, out of your cell... It would be roughly two meters long. And if you took all the DNA inside all of your cells and put them together, it would be literally twice the diameter of the solar system. So, well, how big is that? Well, here's the math on it. Like, here's Dr. Barry Starr. He actually did the math on it. He says, let's start out with people. Each human has a cell around... Uh, has a cell that's around six feet of DNA in each one. Let's say each human has around 10 trillion cells. Those are the math I gave you. That would mean that each person has around 60 trillion feet or around 10 billion miles of DNA inside of them. Well, how far is 10 billion miles, you may be wondering. Well, the distance from the sun to Pluto, out there, all the way to the right, is 3.67 billion miles. And we don't know what Pluto is yet. It might be a planet, it might not. We're still waiting to see. There's a debate on them. I hope you make it Pluto. It is 3.67 billion miles to Pluto. There's over 10 billion miles of DNA in your cell. What does that mean? You are extremely, extremely complicated. 
And there is so much information in that DNA structure. In fact, scientists are looking at the structure of DNA, that simple adenine, thymine, cytosine. They're trying to figure out how much information is contained in each one of those DNA molecules. How much info is actually there? That 3.1 billion connections, those, those, those pairings, how, many, how much information is in there? Well, they're actually trying to put information into DNA to store it to store information inside DNA for a long period of time. And, and, and they find it to be uh, more stable than like disk drives or uh, I don't know, other systems of storage for information. And so this was fascinating. According to an article in The New Scientist, that one gram of DNA is theoretically capable of holding 455 exabytes, enough for all of the data held by Google, Facebook, and every major tech company with room to spare. DNA is extremely complicated and it's all inside of you and there is a ton of information in there but it actually even goes smaller and some of you physics majors are getting really excited at this point because this is what you care about. What you have in each one of those molecules that are connecting are, are atoms. It's hydrogen atoms, it's carbon atoms that are connected together to make you the basis of your life. And in each cell in the human body contains more atoms than there are stars in the Milky Way galaxy. In each one of your cells, there is a little solar system working together to create you. You are extremely, extremely complicated. If someone ever tells you, you're just complicated, say, yes. <laughs> Not only am I complicated, secondly, you're unique. Each one of those DNA structures are uniquely formed. David says it this way, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. There, each one of those DNA pieces that's inside each one of your cells is so unique specifically to you. Well, how unique, Kevin? How unique is that DNA that's inside of me? Isn't it kind of, aren't we like mostly just like chimpanzees? Aren't we mostly just like, I don't know, every other human? Aren't we like 99.9% the same as every other human? That, isn't that what science has told us? And in one, in one sense, yes, there, there is scientific evidence that we actually um, are traced to two ancestors in particular. That's a lot of scientific evidence out there. And there is DNA in every sort of organism that functions very, very similarly. It almost seems like there is a, a single method to create all of this. It's actually fascinating. Maybe it means that we're all from the same, or maybe it means that there was a similar process for all of us. Regardless, each piece, though, is very, very unique. So one scientist, a guy named Drew Smith, he's a molecular and cell- cellular developmental biologist, and he was trying to answer the question, how many combinations of DNA can a human embody? How many combinations? I mean, isn't there someone else out there that's just like me? They're probably born like over in Afghanistan. And if we were to meet, we'd be like, we're the same person. Because isn't DNA just kind of similar with all the number of people in the world? Aren't we, we're not really all that unique, are we? Which says the number is actually infinite. If we were to take all the possible combinations of DNA and all the possible people that could be made, the number of options is actually infinite. 
Kevin, prove it. I'm glad you asked. Because Mr. Drew did. All right, so here's the evidence for you that want proof. Using an estimate of mutation frequency of around 2 times 10 to the negative 8th base pair per replication event, we got 60 novel mutations in every living human being. There are 7 billion humans, so that means there are 420 different variants possible. Hold on, hold on, hold on. There are 7 billion humans on the earth right now. There are 420 billion different options. That's a lot. 420 is a lot more than 7, right? There are a lot more possibilities than there are people. And he says, and that's just the number of new changes that arise from a single generation. That's one generation. The number passed down and recombined with the previous generation is much larger. And he tries to do the math on his calculator. He does this. He says, the number of possible combinations is this. A number that is so large as to be meaningless. At least at my desktop calculator which returns the response when I try to plug it in, not a number. So what does that mean? You're unique. The number of combinations of DNA that comes together between a man and a woman and the number of potential people that are out there, the number is actually infinite. What does that mean? You're unique. You're uniquely created. God intentionally wove you together in your mother's womb. He wanted your life to exist. He was intentional in creating you. You're not just one of many. You are a unique creation. In fact, you are one in a billion, billion, billion. You are a unique person who is brought together at this purpose, in this time, to this place. All that math shows us that God was intentionally weaving you. And it says that he intended you. He intended you to be on this earth. Verse 16 says this, you saw my unformed substance and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was not one of them. How precious are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast the sum of them. If I could count them, there would be more, it'd be more than sand. I awake and I am still with you. He says, God, you have formed me in this world. You intended every one of my days. You intentionally, intricately wove me in this world. You intended me. Both your strengths and your weaknesses. Some of you have a lot of strengths. You're so smart, or you're so athletic, or you're just so cute, right? Like, you have so many strengths. And God intentionally, as he was crafting and forming you, put every one of those strengths in you. And you have weaknesses. You have parts about you you wish you could change, you have parts within you that you're like, I wish this part of me was different. I wish God wouldn't have done this. But God intentionally even created those. In fact, lots of people in the Bible were frustrated by their weaknesses. Paul, one of the authors of the New Testament, was frustrated by his weaknesses. They said in his letters, he is weighty and impressive. But in person, he is unimpressive. Moses the writer of the first five books of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, when God called him to be on mission for him, to save his people out of Egypt, he says to God, I don't want to go. And he, God says, you're going. And then he eventually says this, God, I don't speak well in Exodus 4, verse 10. 
He says, O Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servants, but I am slow of speech and tongue. I don't speak well. I can't stand on stage and and communicate what you want, God. And then God says this to them, which really surprises me. He says, then the Lord said to him, who has made the the man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? He says, I intended your deficiencies. I knew you weren't all that when I put you together. I didn't make you perfect so that you could rule the world. I made you dependent so I could use you. And God put all of these pieces together. He intentionally created all of life and he created you on purpose. You're you. You're complicated. You're unique. And God intended you. Paul Davies is a physicist. He was the winner of the 2001 Kelvin Medal issued by the Institute of Physics and uh, the 2002 Faraday Prize. And he says this, people take it for granted that the physical world is both ordered and intelligible. The underlying order in nature and the laws of physics are simply accepted as given, as brute facts. Nobody asks where they come from, or at least they don't do so in polite company. However, even the most Atheistic scientist accepts as an act of faith that the universe is not absurd, that it is, there's a rational basis to physical existence manifested in the laws of order and nature, or at least partially comprehensible to us. So science can proceed only if the scientist adopts an essentially theological worldview. It's a complicated way of saying, God put this world in motion. And he intended the details. And you have to believe that something is setting the order of things. And the Bible says, yes, God spoke everything into existence and he spoke you into existence. Francis Collins, leader of the Human Genome Project, said this. The God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. He can be worshipped in the cathedral or in the laboratory His creation is majestic, awesome, intricate, and beautiful. So you can look at the science and say, there is a creator behind this. And you can look at his intention and say, there's an intention for me. There is something that God wants to do with me here in this world. And you see his devotion when you look at the details. So not only are you intricately known... Not only are you intricately formed, thirdly, you are intricately invited. See, God knows you. He formed you. He created you purposefully. And he wants you to know him. And that's where David goes at the end of the psalm. The the beginning of the psalm, David says, you have searched me. You've known me from afar. But then he changes the tone at the end of the psalm. And he says this, search me, God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. He, he turns the microscope that's pointed at the evidence, and he turns it into himself, into his heart and mind, and says, okay, God, you've watched me, you've formed me, now will you speak into me? He does something really unique here at the end of the psalm. He invites God to inspect him 
for righteousness. He asks God to inspect him to see if there's anything wrong with him. He turns both the telescope and the microscope on himself and says, Okay, God, look at me. Am I right in your eyes? Seek me out. And here's the tragedy is that we're not right. We are broken. We are not who we were intended to be. And that's why God at the beginning of creation knew that it's the fullness of time he was going to send his son to die in our place for our sins, to rescue us, to put us in right relationship with God, the God of the universe. In Acts 17, it says this, he had appointed the time and the boundary of your habitation, where you would live, so you would seek God, though he is not far from any one of us. And what God is saying is, I want you to know him. I want you to, to invite me in to your life. Have you done that personally? Have you taken a moment to say, God, will you search me and know me? Will you lead my life? Will you, have you taken the moment to invite him in? Nobel Prize winning bacteriologist Alexander Fleming discovered the uh, antibiotic penicillin which saved literally millions of lives. In fact, one person said, it's impossible to say how many lives have been saved by penicillin, but it's estimated that penicillin saved between 800 or 80 million to 200 million lives. And penicillin has saved and is still saving millions of people around the world today. But what most people don't know, although he did find um, the antibiotic penicillin that saved thousands of lives, a lot of people don't know Alexander Fleming's real passion. He says this, My greatest discovery was that I needed God and that I was nothing without him and that he loved me and showed his love by sending Jesus to save me. You can be brilliant and still know you need a savior. You can be strong and still know you're weak. We need Jesus to come. But if you know God's devotion for you. And you see the details. You know how much he loves you. You see his devotion when you look at the details. And watch one little video clip that communicates this point, and we'll close up. Good luck with him, because you should have told me about her. Security and security. This isn't funny. We got to get him dried up. Um, you take him in the back of security. We are able to make sure that this is a great night tonight. Been together a long time? Yeah, almost three years. Okay. You know what, officer? Yeah. You have a great evening. Thank you. Okay, I you're really going to be appreciate okay. It. Thank you. So you did say that you love each other? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Do you feel like it's an everlasting love? An everlasting love. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Will you marry me? Since we're here and you said yes, why don't we do it right now? Best friends, we flew them in from Chicago.
the best wedding ever in like a minute and a half, right? I mean, how easy is that, right? You're just like, I just showed up. That was perfect, all right? But is there any question? Some of you are like, that was overwhelming. It was. And uh, it's actually a 14-minute video I cut to like a minute and a half. Um, and, and I would say this, but is there any question in your mind about whether or not that guy loved that girl? Absolutely not. Why? Because that whole thing was extremely complicated. If he would have showed up and been like, like, hey, you want to get married? All right, my buddy will do it right now. Uh, and uh, you'd be like, yeah, I don't know if that's communicating your love and devotion, the fact that you got a buddy who like online got ordained. You know, like I don't, I don't know that that's the same level of devotion as, as putting on a parade and a dance and like millions of people all out there to like celebrate all your family and all your friends all in that moment. That communicates a new level of devotion and a new level of love. And let me tell you about the God of the universe. He's arranged all of history so that you would be here so that you could know the creator of the universe because you are intimately and fully loved. And when you see the details, you see his devotion. So I invite you in this moment, as we sing our last worship song, to take a moment to say, okay, Lord, will you search me? Will you see if there's any unrighteous way within me? And the sad news is there is. But he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place for your sins that you might know him and spend eternity with him. He loves you that much. Let's take a moment as we transition to our final worship song to seek the Lord. Table host, you can head out and greet the students in a moment. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much. God, that you have arranged all of history in an intricately beautiful way. And Lord, I thank you that we can come to know you as the creator of the universe. And we can use science, technology, and study to see how you did it. And to see the depth of your love. So Lord, I know there's individuals here that have never put their faith wholly and solely in you, Jesus. I pray that as we look at your word and we look at your world we might reach out to know you and love you. Thank you so much that you sent your son for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand again together.